Welcome to the Peace Wanted podcast. One of my ideas is that I would like more people to be heard around this whole idea of non-violence and protection. So it's broadly saying non-violence is works everywhere and unarmed civilian protection is is doing amazing work. I'm really excited to talk to you. It's because I know that you've got a lot of both experience and expertise in that whole field of building peace and non-violence. And I know that you particularly worked on women, peace and security. Why is it so important that we think about the role of women when we're talking about sort of like civilians protecting civilians? Well, first of all, I think the fact that women hold up half the sky, especially um, in the global south where I come from, and that you cannot, and, and they are deeply, deeply impacted by the conflict. There were earlier statistics that showed that uh, women were women and children were more impacted by conflict, uh, if not directly, but at least indirectly. And, and therefore, their voices and their experiences must reflect at the high tables where peace is negotiated or peace is brokered. So there's not just brokered, that it's, yeah. it's actually uh, negotiated in a way in which it's an inclusive and sustainable peace. Yeah. And we also know where we have uh, enough data to prove that peace processes, or shall I say peace agreements, that have not had women as part of that process have come apart uh, within, within a decade of them being signed. The other aspect is that women define or experience security in ways that are not just state-centric or military-centric. There are a whole host of structural causes of conflict that impact their everyday lives. And there are also these huge exclusions in the discourse on security, which should be remedied because uh, the impact of not just because the impact on them is higher in many cases but also because they they can bring different solutions to resolve it so we are not only talking about conflict management but if you're talking about resolution and reconciliation women have a huge huge role to, yeah. uh, because they usually come in you know of course there are Everybody talks about the three lenses through which you see women's role in peace building. One is the biological lens that because women are more peace loving, you know, that you need not accept that because that 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 has now been uh, disproved that yeah. they're, they're naturally that they're naturally or biologically inclined. Yeah. The other could be the more uh, sort of structural approach that they have been socialized into. Yeah. Uh, into peace or yeah. peaceful activities or non-violent. But the third, which is more important and for us particularly relevant, is the lens of justice. The fact that they they are impacted by by the con- by conflicts everywhere, and their voice should be heard, and the injustice of exclusion should be remedied. Women bring very different kinds of uh, methodologies to the peace process. And they are also very often linked to larger movements for democracy, not just women's movements. And primarily 
they draw their sustenance from their link to the women's movements, which talk about not just conflict, but the other structural causes of conflict in society. Right. For example, exactly. it could be property uh, rights, it could be inheritance rights, the whole issues of violence against women, it could be the lo loss of control over their own bodies uh, on account of personal laws or religious law or community laws that operate. It could be on accounts of structure, entrenched structures of patriarchy. So they bring a, a very rich repertoire of mm. living with everyday conflict. So, yeah. you know, they live on the continuum of violence. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just armed conflict, but they, they are on a, on a continuum. So they have mm. everyday violence, which is normalized in many societies. Yeah. That personal experience of living with multiple forms of violence every day or not being heard. I think that's really powerful. And it's like, and yeah. so I, 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 I hear that as well in the work that I do, that as soon as you listen to people, you find out that it's their experience which is motivating them to, to act. We really have to uh, break two extremes. One, we have to break the cultures of silence. That's lovely. And yeah. we, have to break, we have to also break the cultures of impunity. For example, the impunity that is granted to the armed forces in many countries because, because they have the protection of the state and the state laws because they are meant to be serving national security. But because women's experience of security is so different, then actually right. the security provided by the military doesn't fit. It's a very top-down, force-centered, military-centered, state-centered concept of security. So you have the threat to the state, yeah. which is cognized as security, but the threat to peoples, even from agencies, even the state, doesn't yeah. get into the discourse at all. They had opened up a whole new continent of discussion, uh, with the, which they called the non-traditional security issues. But and, those and, are the ones that I, women need to be heard about. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And for them, and as and here you can actually conflict the experiences of women vis-a-vis yeah. -vis patriarchy with the experiences of the global south vis-a-vis -vis the what was called the global north. Yes. Because for the global north, security meant arms, armament, all of this. Yeah. Whereas yeah. for the global south, it meant poverty, disease, mm. natural disasters. Um, not access to food, food, clothing, shelter. Yeah. But the, the whole discourse got skewed because of the hegemonic hegemony yeah. of certain powers in the international order. After all, the idea of national security is as recent as Harry Truman. He was the first person, President Truman, who actually articulated this notion of national security. Yeah. So even if you look at 1325, Resolution 13, it's still very state state centric, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. It's it's still very much of the, uh, protecting the states, and therefore you need women's voices to come in and so on. It's much less focused on political processes and issues of justice. I mean, while they mention it in the later resolutions, it still remains a fairly top down approach. That's interesting. So that actually mirrors the type of thing we talk about when we think about protecting civilians, because all of the policies are very top down 
And then when you when you try to look at what people's actual experiences of how they protect one another, on the whole, communities protect one another and don't rely on top down. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, you know, women's approach to peace building, uh, they look at security as a very, their uh, experience is very relationally defined. You know, the real politic, which which is looking at power in a very different way. So ultimately, it's how you constitute power. uh, And therefore, their notion of power and justice and, and shall I say, relationships are are actually relationally defined uh if you if you look at a male female binary yeah the method of reasoning through which men are socialized into looking at a problem yeah or or solving a problem is very different from the way in which women are socialized into looking yeah and and international politics invariably uh within realism is zero-sum game you know yeah when i lose and which, so on and so forth. Which is yeah. like the opposite of nonviolence, isn't it? Where nonviolence is all around inclusion and um, like listening to everybody. Correct. Dialogue, dialogic methods. So, I mean, I it's so important, therefore, that uh, obviously the way in which we have been building peace hasn't worked. Yes. So it's time for us to take a look and see what is it that we are doing which is not working. And, and this gives you a window into that because it's about, about actually foregrounding the experiences of people yes. who are engaged or caught in the crossfire uh, of, of a conflict, if you want, whether it is societal or international or across national boundaries. And looking at each of these sets of experiences as standalone because a one-size-fits-all approach cannot work oh that is i love that approach okay so i'm going to ask you something different if there was one thing where we could take a first step towards including more people's voices what would we need to do to change this system that isn't working well i think if there's one thing oh one one or okay one starting point Well, of course, uh, looking at, first of all, understanding the complexities yes. of power yeah. power distributions in society. Because there's no point, uh, you know, engaging in non-violence in a, in, a, in, in a purely emotional way. Non-violence requires a great deal of understanding, yeah. uh, intellectual engagement. Yeah. It also needs strategizing. Although it's not cynical strategizing, no. I would call it loving strategizing. Oh, that's lovely! I love. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna use that loving strategizing. <laughs> yeah, like for example, uh, somebody would. You have X amount of resources uh, in the family, and you need to cut somewhere. You need to. Some people have to give up. Some people have to give in. Some people have to be. Do need special care. So that involves strategizing. Now, the point is that what is the motivation for strategy? Yes. Ultimately, it's not just the end result because uh, nonviolent action is process driven. Yeah. And, and it is as much motivation driven. It is. As it is the, is the optics. Yes, absolutely. The optics comes much later. Yeah. So there's a lot and lot of inner work that one needs to do. 
And one of the first things you have to do is to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the other. Nonviolent action cannot happen unless you put yourself in the shoes of the other. And yeah. you re reach out to those that you fear the most. Yeah. That's really interesting. So I often, when I'm talking about nonviolence to people, I sometimes talk about that it's, it's you have to challenge the whole idea of othering, that there is no other. And this is a really difficult pe thing for people to think about because it's normal to even go um, the people in the other department or uh, the people on the other side of town. So we even use that language all the time. So the idea that nonviolence is going to help us sort of like challenge that, that actually everything, that, that we are all connected in, in that way. Three things, the interconnectedness is a, the understanding of interconnectedness, which is a very Buddhist kind of idea initially. Yeah. So it's uh, between sentient beings, the uh, uh, human beings and the planet, human beings and animals, just across the, the entire spectrum of nonviolence. But there are two things that one has to do. One has to, first of all, first of all, internally disarm. It's not only about arms. It's about your internal processes. So there's a lot of inner work that UCP has to focus on. I mean, yeah. that has to be a prelude to the actual uh, employment of tactics sense, you know. Yeah. So you have your strat yeah. strategy, then you have your, pure, your internal processes, then you look at your tools or your techniques. Mm -hmm. But by focusing too much on the techniques, we sometimes lose sight, we lose the trees for the uh, wood for yes. the trees. Uh, because you may win uh, the immediate skirmish, you may stall a few, you know, stall a few deaths, etc. But if you have the larger picture and you can't have that, unless you have looked at a the structural causes of conflict, but also the patterns of power and community relations in any society. So even a society that is in conflict, you have to truly understand what motivates the other. So it also means you can't demonize the other. You cannot, you have to first of all, of all look at the labels that you attached to defining the other. You have to deconstruct those labels first. Look at new ways or if you want to give labels, then it, you have to find very, very innovative methods of describing a situation. First of all, not the received knowledge that you get either through social media and so on and so forth. So if you're reporting, say, five people were killed in a skirmish between two two warring groups, it's not just that on so-and-so day this happened and this, so many people were left dead on either side. But what went before that and what went a little before that, motivation gets into the picture in a big way. So you have to dissolve resistance several levels to have sustaining peace. And then you also have to, you will inevitably end up that when you're looking at non-violence, it's not just, it's not, it's about the ability to wage conflict, conflict peacefully. Conflict. Yes. Because you, you can't have a society where there's no conflict, otherwise yes. it won't move forward. So not all conflict is bad, but you know, you need, you need to know how to wage it non-violence that's amazing i love i love the imagery yeah. of things like dissolving that resistance and uh, widening the picture and to, to encompass that complexity and i absolutely agree with you that when we say what we're doing to build peace isn't working at the moment so there must be something that we're not doing or we don't know or we haven't tried 
your insights and contribution are really important in helping us to understand that this isn't just a, a numbers game. It's not just about how many women do something. It's actually about changing the way we include women. It's not about numeric representation. It's really about substantive. It's about changing the discourse completely. And that's where I think, you know, if you look at the yin and yang principle, uh, the feminine element needs to enter, whether it's man or woman. At the moment, we have very, for example, when you look at protection, the word protection is invariably associated with force. You know, you yeah. protect somebody from something. Don't protect somebody with something. But also it's protection is so mired in this idea that men protect women or the strong mm -hmm. protect the weak. One of the things I love about working in unarmed civilian nonviolent protection is that all of that changes. It just proves that those assumptions are false. True leader is like water. The paradox of soft and strong. And that water can swirl around the rocks and wear down the rocks over time. If you put another rock against another rock, it may not happen. <laughs> you just build a so wall. So it's basically Aikido in action. Unless there's a mental shift both within what is known as the perpetrator and the victim, this method cannot exist. I love talking to you and, and hearing all your uh, ideas and experience on this because I think it's so important. Thank you for joining us. Come back soon.